Hey, welcome to the As You Are podcast. We are back this week and starting a new series. We're excited about it. We decided we wanted to take the next three weeks and talk about awesome women in the Bible. Yes, and this week we will be starting with Esther. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament. If you're on a walk, just listen in and get comfy. Okay, here we go. I'm excited to talk about Esther. I am too. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, to fill you guys in, Anna and I had a little meeting, vision casting for this semester of the podcast, and we decided we wanted to do a three-part series kind of highlighting the stories of some awesome women in the Bible because over Advent, we actually covered Mary the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, who were two really awesome, faithful Mm -hmm. women. Just before that, we talked about Mary and Martha, who were both incredible. And we realized there are a lot of other women in the Bible who were heroes, but actually very normal and just chose to obey. So we thought it would be fun to get acquainted with these stories, take a closer look at what they mean for us, and just hopefully walk away encouraged. Yeah, we're excited. I feel like reading about women in the Bible is just so helpful. Like there's a lot of men in the Bible. And so when you find some like heavy hitting women, you're like, this is great. I, I just, I don't know. I like learning about them and learning from them. And Esther actually has her own book of the Bible. So it's a full book, which is exciting we are going to do our best to summarize the whole thing for y'all yeah it's it's really interesting re-studying esther because i am familiar with the story but rereading it it definitely hit me differently than i remembered i want to take just a second to encourage y'all to use the bible app has an audio feature so i would encourage y'all to use that i listened to the whole book of esther in the message version and in the ESV version. The ESV is my favorite translation for accuracy, but the message is really helpful because it sort of lays everything out in more plain terms and it's a little bit more expanded. So I like to listen to both just to have proper context, but all of that only took me like 45 minutes. And so I was on a walk, listened to the, the book of Esther, and feel like up to date and you listen to it twice yeah twice which is crazy yeah and it's just like other audiobooks that has the option to speed up the reading so I listened on 1.25 and it was actually fun I felt like I was just on a walk listening to some kind of soap opera because as you'll see this story is very entertaining and yeah dramatic (laughs) so anyway I have the ESV study bible at home it is massive. I'm going to, it's, I think, three inches thick. I'm going to drop it on my table so you hear how loud. Oh, my god! <laughs> but it has an amazing intro with lots of context. And then throughout each verse, there's answers to your questions, basically, that they've done the research for you. Yeah. So that was very helpful for me. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to get the answers you need. So if you want a Bible at home that's helpful like this in studying Scripture, Um, go grab the ESV, English Standard Version, Study Bible. But before we delay too much more, we are going to dive in to the story of Esther. I'm going to do my best to just summarize it, and then we can get into the details. Esther is a book of the Bible 
that is a story of a Jewish girl who becomes queen of Persia through the providence of God and is able to intervene and save the Jewish people from their destruction. It is full of drama, of villains, of parties, of God showing up in the details and proof that he will always provide and care for his people. So let's get into the details and also get into what this means for us today. A couple of things that we might want to know beforehand that we wouldn't know if we didn't study the context is that Esther and Mordecai, who is her cousin and also her guardian because her parents had passed away, are both Jews. Mm -hmm. The Jews are in exile because they were disobedient and then defeated and exiled to Babylon and then Persia. Try to keep up with all that. But basically, they are far away from home. They were a minority group in the area. Right. And they would have felt awkward because of that. It could be something used against them. So you'll notice in the story that multiple times they talk about not sharing the fact that they have Jewish heritage with anyone. So the fact that she goes on to become queen is actually crazy. So the main characters are Esther and Mordecai. King Xerxes, who is also mentioned by a different name in the ESV. So both of those are the same guy, his wife, Queen Vashti, and our bad guy, Haman. So, Anna, will you start the story? Sure. So it starts off, and um, like Emily already mentioned, but Esther is living with her cousin Mordecai because her parents have passed away. So the king is ruling over a lot of different provinces. Um, I read somewhere yep. that he's ruling from India to Egypt. So like huge span of land. And he has decided like, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job being king. Uh, so I'm going to throw a party. But this is not just a one day party. It's 120 days, right? 180 days. So like literally over six months. <laughs> literally a 180 day party. Uh, so he is feeling very excited about his accomplishments and he has his right-hand man, Haman. Um, and then there's also his wife at the time, current wife, King Vashti, who is honestly incredible. We, she doesn't get a ton of airtime in the story, but what happens is that the king during this big celebration becomes really drunk and um, he's like, I want to show off my wife. I want to show how beautiful she is, and I want all the men to see her. And she refuses. She's like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to come. Which is crazy. She says no to the king. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to be shown off. And so he decides to banish her. So apparently, then a couple days later, he sobers up and he starts to regret having banished her because she was very beautiful. <laughs> and so and he's like, now I don't have a wife. Yeah, now I don't have a queen. He was basically being a big drunk baby. And so he decides that he is going to hold a beauty contest for all of the young ladies in the area and pick a new queen. So mm-hmm. that's where our people come in. Esther and Mordecai decide that they're going to show up for this event and they're not going to tell anybody that they're Jewish 
because of reasons that I said before. So to zoom far ahead, all these ladies spend a year in a beautifying process. Like they're basically in a spa. It describes a year. a year. I would love to be in a spa for a year, but it describes like all of the oils and all of the things that they do to make themselves beautiful before they appear before the king. And essentially to really simplify it, he falls so deeply in love with her and, and thinks that Esther is the most beautiful, the best, and he immediately makes her queen. So, um, then he throws a giant festival for Esther because this man loves to party and (laughs) and it actually says, it's so funny listening to it. If you like have the Bible app, read it to you because it talks about how he basically orders everyone to drink as much as they possibly can. And like the Royal wine flows freely and all that kind of stuff. So he like, this dude is very unwise really loves to party and is super wasteful. He loves Esther and wants to celebrate her. So he throws another party. And because Esther has become queen, I found out in my study Bible that Mordecai has also gotten a job at the palace. He keeps watch by the gate that goes into the king's personal quarters. So Haman enters the scene. He's our bad guy. I really hate him. Um, he is the king's right-hand guy, and one of the things that the king decides to make a decree is that everybody who sees Haman has to bow in front of him. Mm-hmm. And every time Haman passes Mordecai at the gate, he does not bow. Like, he he loves God, and he won't bow to anyone else. But it makes Haman so mad. Mm-hmm. He tells the king about Mordecai's disobedience, and... They decide that not only is he disobeying and disrespecting the king, he's disrespecting every single country and every single province that the king reigns over. So we definitely need to kill this guy is what he decides for some reason. And not only do we need to kill him, we need to kill all of his people. Which is crazy. So Haman and the king have decided that they are going to kill all of the Jews. Um, Meanwhile, Mordecai... The guy that Haman hates, Esther's cousin, has overheard these guards slash like king servants talking about how they're going to plot to kill the king. And he tells the king and like essentially saves the king's life. Um, And so the king is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm not going to die now. So he has it written down into his records that Mordecai saved his life. But of course he forgets because he's always drunk and kind of the worst. Then Mordecai has now heard about the fact that Haman wants to kill not only him, but all of the Jews. And he gets word to Esther about it. And he's like, hey, this is about to happen. This is going to be bad. We need to do something about it. Like, you specifically need to do something about it. Because remember, Esther at this point had become... I've heard, like, I think it's, we call her the queen. I don't know if there was multiple queens, but she's, like, high up yeah. in the king's circle. He's like, you need to do something about it. And Esther's response at first is like, no, I'm going to yeah. die. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah. do anything about it. I don't want to die. And she's like, nobody knows I'm a Jew, basically, you know? Right. She's like, I'm not going to say anything about it. They won't do anything to me. They don't know I'm a Jew. And Mordecai responds, and this this little section of Esther is pretty famous, so we're going to read it directly to y'all it's chapter four um and 
He says to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, you could have come to the royal palace for such a time as this. And then Esther sent a reply to Mordecai. So at this point, they're kind of like having to use other people or maybe like sending, I don't know, messages back and forth to each other. It's not a direct in-person conversation. And so it says that Esther replies to him, Go gather together all of the Jews and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and nights, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So essentially, Esther has now changed her mind because Mordecai is like, Okay, yeah, sure, if you don't use your position now, God is still going to deliver the Jews. He's still going to protect his people. But like you might have been brought to the palace for such a time as this. And it's really cool to see Esther's like heart change behind that. You know, she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like she like musters up this crazy bravery because what it says in here is true. Like if she went into the king's quarters without being summoned, she could be killed on the spot. So taking it very seriously, she asks Mordecai to fast for three days and ask other people to do that with him. The Jews are distraught. Everybody is in mourning. Once the king makes a decree like this, it's definitely happening. So we're just waiting for Haman to literally roll a dice to pick a day that all the Jews are killed. So everybody is so upset. And Esther is preparing to go in and speak with the king. In the meantime, the king suffers a sleepless night where he cannot sleep all night long, and it says that he flips back through his records and finds the one where Mordecai saves his life. And so he's refreshed and rejuvenated and wants to celebrate and honor Mordecai. When he wakes up the next morning, he asks Haman, what would you do for somebody that you wanted to honor? What's the best thing I could do for somebody? Haman, thinking that the king is talking about him, says you should put them on a royal horse, one that you've ridden before, and put robes on his back and parade him around the city and announce this is somebody who is awesome, basically. (laughs) So the king says, great, go do that for Mordecai. Obviously, Haman is pissed, super distraught. But he has to do that. He takes him around the city on the horse and with the robe saying, this man is a great man. And in his mind, he's just plotting. So he comes home after all that and he constructs this thing. It's like basically something to impale a person on that he is going to use to kill Mordecai when he casts his lot and figures out the day that the Jews are going to die. So he's plotting, 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 scheming, 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 and he's up to no good. But Esther's time has come. She's been fasting, and she's ready to go talk to the king. So she approaches his quarters, which is illegal. And when he sees her, he's actually really happy to see her. He extends his gold scepter, which is a sign of acceptance. Come in. And so she starts to talk to him and says, King, I am distraught. There is somebody who's trying to kill me. He's trying to kill my cousin, and he's trying to kill all of my people. The king is furious, and he's like, who would do this? Who would try to kill my queen? 
And she points at Haman, who happens to be in the room, and she's like, this evil Haman. (laughs) I think that's a quote. So right off the bat, the king is like, I'm done with you, Haman. And I'm actually going to put you to death on the thing that you built to kill Mordecai on. Yeah. And the story sort of wraps up from there. The king is completely on Esther's side. He kills Haman, which... So much violence here, but Haman's gone and out of the picture, and Esther is celebrated, and Mordecai is actually elevated to work for the king as one of his main Mm -hmm. right-hand men. So God uses the faithfulness of Esther and Mordecai, their trust, their obedience, and their yes to save the Jewish people just like that. We just summarized a whole book of the Bible, guys. So, like, give us some credit, okay? (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the book of Esther has so much in it. When you read about Esther, this is, like, one of the first things you'll probably find out is that God is not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, which is crazy. Like, I think it's the only book of the Bible where God's not mentioned. Because of that, there have been scholars that have been like, maybe it shouldn't even be included in the Bible. Like it's kind of debated. But one of the main themes of the book of Esther is that God is present even when we don't feel like he's near. He's not mentioned at all in the book of Esther, but like you can see him moving. God's hand is at work throughout the entire book, even though we don't hear about him mentioned explicitly. Yeah, you can see him orchestrating the story. He puts Esther and Mordecai into this position of power and favor, even though they were really probably doing this for their own personal gain. He orchestrated the king falling in love with Esther and her having a special place in his heart and therefore a way to his ear. He allowed Mordecai to find out about the plot to kill the king, and therefore the king was indebted to him. He kept the king awake the night before Esther came to him. And so it's just all of these things happening together at once, orchestrated by God in order for his plan to come together. What I love about this is that it shows God is willing to go the distance to protect and provide for his people. There are going to be times in your life where it feels like God is distant, but He is at work behind the scenes. He's closer than you think, and he cares so deeply. Another thing that might be encouraging to you is that God wants to use normal people, and that is definitely on display in this story. I remember thinking that Esther was pretty perfect, Mm -hmm. like a religious all-star who went into the situation knowing she needed to save her people, and she was being obedient from the beginning. But reading back on it, it's my interpretation that she was basically socially climbing. She had broken some Jewish laws. She was really caught up in the culture of that day and age. But when the time came to be obedient, she had been positioned by God where she needed to be, and the opportunity came, and she was obedient. Yeah. We even saw her struggle with that. She said, I don't know that I'm going to do that. I don't want to die. But then when it came down to it, she said yes, and God used her in a massive way. Yeah. I think that's like, it's so important to remember that. And I love to try and like put myself in people's shoes when I'm reading the Bible because I feel like it helps me just understand more of what they're going through. And 
this is like not just the book of Esther. Like all throughout the Bible, God is using sinful, not perfect people. And I can see myself in that for sure. Esther wasn't perfect. She wasn't in the temple every day, like praying to God every day. But God still used her to save an entire people group. And that's amazing. God wants to partner with us. Take comfort in knowing like, even though I don't have it all together, even though I don't know every book of the Bible, like whatever it is for you that you feel like, oh, I can't measure up. Right. God still wants to use you. And he has a plan for your life. He has a specific calling for your life. Yeah. And here's the thing. We can't be intimidated. If we want to be a part of his plan, We have to be willing to take action. Esther put herself in a place to be able to do that. Like it's important to remember she fasted for three days. And like we, yes, we are called to like partner with God and to do like be a part of what he's doing on this earth. But we're not going to be able to do that if we're not like putting ourselves in his presence. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, what does that even look like? Like what, how do I partner with God? Well, step one is get in his presence. Pray, like ask him to speak to you because if you're just going out thinking like, all right, I'm going to partner with God today, but you haven't spent any time with him, you're not going to know how he wants you to partner with him. Like, sorry, but that's just the truth. Step one, before she approached the king, before she was bold and brave, she sat at God's feet and acknowledged her need for him and so like that is what we need to do yeah that's definitely what we need to do and that goes hand in hand with our new year's resolution from last week just the idea of spending five minutes of undivided time with god yeah can be a really good jumping off point to start your day and maybe it grows into more time like maybe once a week you can set aside a lot more time to just pray pray for your path to be clear, pray for your friends, pray for your family, Mm -hmm. that we would be more and more in tune with what God is doing and how we take action and not only obey, but trust. We just want to encourage y'all. Like, I think sometimes we have these experiences that make us feel really close to the Lord. But then when we go back to the day to day, it can feel like God is far away. I was telling Emily about this. I'm going to try and describe it to you. It's a visual illustration to explain like our relationship with Jesus and his relationship with us. And so I want you guys to imagine two people, you're grabbing onto each other's forearms. Okay, so like one hand is holding the other person's forearm and the other hand of the other person is holding the other forearm. I'm doing this like with myself right now. You can do it with yourself. So like take one hand and hold a forearm and take your other hand and hold your other forearm. And now you're kind of creating this like, I don't know, square in front of you. But now let go of just one hand. The other hand is still holding on. And that is how God is in relationship with us. When we let go, or if you are thinking to yourself, I haven't had a quiet time in a year. That's okay. God is still present. He's still holding on. He's still with you. It's not like when you're holding somebody's hands and you let go, and then all of a sudden both people are no longer connected. God is holding on to us even when we release our hand. And what's crazy too is like, if you're doing this little image in front of you, you can only pull away so far because you're still being held on to. God is near. It's so evident that God wants to partner with us. It's so evident that God knows we are not perfect. And so if anything, those two things, 
give us the confidence to look yeah. him in the eyes and remember he loves us and he knows that we're like this and that we're not perfect and he still wants to partner with us. And so to me, it just, it reinstills confidence that God likes me. God loves me. God wants to use me. And so all Mm -hmm. I have to do is just put myself near to him and be willing to trust and obey. Yeah. To close us out, Emily, will you pray for us? I'd love to. God, we love you and we love learning more about you. Would you give us the courage to obey and trust and take that leap of faith when you're asking us to partner with you? Would you just let the story of Esther be an encouragement to us this week? We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that's all we have for y'all today. Thank you so much for diving into the Old Testament with us. This is going to be fun. Two more weeks of stories of amazing women in the Bible. Next week, we're going to talk about Ruth and Naomi. You are going to love their story. So don't forget to tune back in next Sunday. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends. We'll see y'all later. Bye. See ya.